I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. If today was not an endless highway, if tonight was not a crooked trail, if tomorrow wasn't such a long time, then lonesome would mean nothing to you at all. Yes, and only if my own true love was waiting. Yes, and if I could hear her heart softly pounding. If only she was lying by me, then I'd lie in my bed once again. I can't see my reflection in the water. I can't speak the sounds that show no pain. I can't hear the echo of my footsteps or remember the sound of my own name. Yes, if only my own true love was waiting. Yes, and if I could hear her heart a softly pounding. If only she was lying by me, then I'd lie in my bed once again. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to talk about the beautiful Tomorrow is a Long Time is longtime Dylan fan, Michael Bonaspina. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? It's great. Great to be on. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I've been, I've been talking to a lot of new Dylan fans on the show lately, and that has just been terrific. And of course, before we get to this song in question, I, of course, have to ask you, since you're a new guest, like, what's your secret origin with uh, being a fan of Bob Dylan? Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad we picked this song because it has a lot to do with this song. I've always liked um, classic rock and roll. Grew up a huge Elvis fan idolized Elvis. Um, I like the Beatles went through Hendrix phase, all that. And I always tried to get into Dylan because I knew that he was, you know, important. Um, and I liked the big hits. I thought times they are changing was a really cool song. I thought like Rolling Stone was neat, but other than that, didn't get a hundred percent into it. I think I had greatest hits volume one mm-hmm. and years later in college, my wife or was my wife now she really liked him. And I asked her what albums to get. She told me blood on the tracks. I went to best buy <laughs> And only could find Highway 61. I bought that, and I still didn't really like it. I just don't think I was ready for it yet. Hmm, okay. Um, and then it was probably around 22, 23. I heard the uh, Elvis Presley version of the song, um, Tomorrow's a Long Time, and I loved it. And I, I heard that it was written by Bob Dylan, and I thought it was a shame that I didn't like it more because it was such a pretty song. I assumed the reason why I liked the song is Elvis. But I watched the um, No Direction Home documentary. It was on Netflix back then. And there was a clip of him playing Visions of Johanna in the Live 66 acoustically. Right, right. And I just thought it was beautiful. And I just kind of little by little got into it by then until eventually, you know, he probably became uh, up there with Elvis and Bruce Springsteen as my favorite artist of all time. And I certainly don't know, haven't listened to every bootleg or anything, but I've listened to all the albums, given like them all for the most part, except for a couple of the mid 80s or. Um, <laughs> early '90s stuff. Even then, I think there's some good things. Um, I've seen him twice. Uh, saw him about six years ago, and then I just saw him uh, two months ago. And honestly, oh, very nice. Was was incredible. He was on. He. I don't know how much you've heard about the 2018 shows, but what I've seen on YouTube and what I saw in person, he was as good as he's been in years. It seems like. Yeah, the clips I've seen have been really, really good, and he's been playing a lot of different songs, too. I haven't had a chance to see him this year. I'm frustrated at that because he's been whipping out, like, when I paid my masterpiece and got to serve somebody, like, stuff I would, again, never expect that he would be playing. Yeah, he played both of those and actually played um, a pretty unique version of um, 
like a Rolling Stone that was really different than anything I had ever heard. Wow. Um, and I got the crowd on the feet for sure. Very cool. That's fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's worth, of course, we have to mention when we're talking about tomorrow is a long time. I guess we're kind of jumping to the end a little bit, but it doesn't matter that Bob himself declared the Elvis Presley cover of this song, his favorite cover of any of his songs. And uh, I think the Elvis version is terrific. I really like it. It was recorded, I think, for, for was it, it was a for a soundtrack for one of his movies, right? Yeah, it was recorded at a soundtrack session. And actually, Charlie McCoy who played on Desolation Row and Blonde sure. on Blonde, introduced Elvis to the to the song. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a cool detail. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Elvis um, was just uh, would just listen to it all the time. In fact, decided um, that he wanted to try to get into Dylan. And, and there are a couple other covers of Elvis singing Dylan. I don't think any of them are any other ones are professionally done. But at home, he sings Blowing in the Wind. He has a jam session where he sings Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Um, there's like a 40-second clip of him singing I Shall Be Released. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because having studied both of them, they really are kind of kindred spirits musically. I don't think they ever met uh, as far as anything I've read. They probably Depends Elvis on whether you probably... believe uh, went to see the gypsy yeah. or not, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think Elvis probably would have been uh, pretty intimidated by Bob and maybe vice versa, too. Yeah, but... I think so. <laughs> But Elvis, like me, just loved this song, and um, uh, and I think Dylan and Elvis's versions both are just both tremendous. They both have their strong suits. Yeah, I think it's a great version, but I also tend to think that that Bob is is the reason he loves it as much as he does is because he worshipped Elvis. Everybody knows that he worshipped Elvis Presley. So to have someone that that inspired you to become a musician, then in turn cover one of your own songs. You, there has to be a bit of favoritism lopped into that decision because I, there's, I, you know, there's a billion great Bob Dylan covers, but for, for Bob to declare this one, his all time favorite, I have to think it's just cause it's Elvis. It's Elvis yeah. singing your words. That's amazing. I don't know what else could make you feel like you made it more than Elvis Presley, uh, you know, recording one of your songs that yeah, would make seriously. you feel like you really made it. Yeah. I mean, this song is, is interesting. It's in the Dylan canon and that kind of like um, Mama, You've Been On My Mind, which we covered just a couple episodes ago, that this is a song that never made it onto any regular album. It was, you know, Bob recorded it in the 60s, wrote it in the 60s and it never made it onto an album. Uh, but then it but it has never fully left his repertoire. Uh, he played it. He's played it in concert. It's it's been uh, done only sixty nine times. That's not a lot, but it's been played of course over the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and as recently as two thousand eight. So it's it's certainly a song that he obviously has some affection for. And a, a live version of it finally did appear on Greatest Hits Volume Two. And it's kind of curious that the version on Greatest Hits Volume Two, which is funny because I mean, was anybody demanding tomorrow was a long time? Like why why is it on Greatest Hits Volume Two? But it's funny that he didn't try and re-record it for Greatest Hits Volume 2. He just simply pulled a live version from 1963, which maybe he figured that was the best version. But I think that's that's unusual that he would just say, all right, let's just pull out this old version as opposed to trying to redo it. Uh, and maybe he figured that that was the version everybody liked the most. And in my mind, that certainly is the, the definitive version, is that one from, yeah. the, the, from the town hall, um, New York Town Hall from April 12th, 1963. Yeah, me too. I think that uh, the reason why he probably picked it, it, other than maybe he didn't want to go, you know, he doesn't like the studio. He doesn't like to go and record. But mm -hmm. I think he picked that version. I mean, it's just an exceptional version of the song. Um, until the crowd claps at the end, you would have no idea it was live. It's so powerful. 
uh, quiet, intense, all, like all of Dylan's great live performances, really. And then when the crowd comes in at the end, you're just kind of blown away. I mean, I always am. I'm, even now when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, my God, that was live. Nobody's uttering a, a word. You know, this isn't the Beatles or Elvis where people are just screaming and, you know, this is just absolute silence while to hear every single word he says. And it's just it's a really a testament to him as a live performer. Yeah, and, it's, uh, such a, it's such a delicate melody. And he's kind of the, the, the guitar accompaniment is so simple and spare. And, yeah, I mean, you would think that in a, in a live setting you would get somebody yelling out something or do, you know, mm-hmm. doing something distracting. But they're so transfixed by what he's singing. And then the, there's one more verse to the song I didn't, I didn't get to yet. And he says, uh, there's beauty in the silver singing river. There's beauty in that rainbow in the sky. But none of these and nothing else can touch the beauty that I remember in my true love's eyes. Yes, and if only my true love was waiting. Yes, and if I could hear her heart softly pounding. If only she was lying by me. Then I'd lie in my bed once again. And there's a there's a line in here in the in the lyrics version that you find on BobDylan.com. The line is there's beauty in the sunrise in the sky. Now, he doesn't sing that. He sings rainbow in the sky. I have I have seen people. I think Clinton Halen specifically um, dings the song a little bit by saying uh, sunrise in the sky. Well, where else would you find it? You know, I mean, it's kind of a nonsense (laughs) line. And while I, I agree with that on an intellectual level, I think. That speaks to the power of music is that, yeah, you know, yeah, he's singing rainbow in the sky or sunrise in the sky. And yes, of course, well, where, where else are you going to see a rainbow? But it works because you're just caught up in the performance of it. And intellectually, it doesn't bother you that that line is a little bit of a clunker. You, you, it just works because the performance is so good. Yeah, the performance is good. And honestly, every time he has sang this song uh, live, I've heard – I think you said the most recent one was 2008. That That's one, I believe. says, yeah. Yeah, I believe there's one around that time on YouTube. It's definitely in the 2000s, judging by the way he looks. And it's just – still, it's just a tremendous version. And I just think that the – even in the – what do you call it? The rundown uh, session? The run, there's the rundown rehearsal version, which you can hear on YouTube. It's, it's up there yeah. on YouTube. I think and he sings that one a little differently. It's not quite as quiet. It's a little more bombastic. Um, He's got the girl singing behind him and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think even then, it's a tremendous version of the song, and I think he really puts a lot into it. Ironically enough, um, I wonder if that would have been around 77, 78, right? Yep. So Elvis died in 77. I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's why why he took that song out. Yeah, maybe so. Um, there's an, another mention of this song in, I believe it's, uh, again, I'm mentioning Clinton Hale again, but Bob Dylan, Year by Year, where sometime, at some point in the 2000s or in the 90s, uh, somebody yelled this song out as a request, which is like ballsy. I would not think to yell at Bob <laughs> Dylan and tell him what to play. I would be terrified, yeah. Yeah, but apparently somebody yelled out, you know, yelled out, tomorrow is a long time. And he actually responded by saying, it sure is awfully long and then he played the song i'd be like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like i got them to, them to respond to me i mean i believe the story i don't because i mean presumably somebody heard it and it's yeah. not a lie but at the same time i wonder like well if it wasn't part of the set list already did he just did the band know it already like how did that work yeah. i know that he has all these songs in his head but did the band know i have no idea that seems incredible i don't know that is pretty cool though i would feel could you imagine leaving the Dylan show when you got him to play whatever song you wanted? That would that's nuts. That's, that's crazy. crazy. You'd be like, I got to go play the lottery. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. living a charm life here. This is this is fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I said it's it really is such a beautiful song. It reminds me lyrically like a little bit of uh, Visions of Johanna, which you already mentioned, and that the idea of the the rumination that somebody has in the middle of the night. 
You know, like that's yeah. this is this is what it feels like. It's somebody thinking out loud at three in the morning, and they're they're sort of they have trepidation about the what tomorrow is going to bring and it's tomorrow is such a long time. It feels so far away, even though it's, it's only, obviously it's only a couple of hours, but it, it feels like an eternity. And this song gets to that very, very quickly and very simply. Yeah, I, I would agree. Vintage Johanna, it does remind you of that uh, quite a bit. I think what he really does well uh, from a writing standpoint is write songs where it's how you feel at three in the morning. And I can't remember, I think one of his, one of his studio musicians said that one time, but I would agree 100%. Uh, certainly, this song just has that down 100%. And I think some of the some of the lines in this song are incredibly strong. The part about not being able to recognize his footsteps or his name. I mean, that's just that is an incredible, uh, incredible uh, little couplet there. Yeah, I mean, this is somebody who is, I guess, feels like a ghost. You know, he can't remember the sound of his own name. As you mentioned, he can't hear the footsteps. He can't. He can't even feel any pain. He can't see his reflection in the water. I mean, is this this is this person not even really there? Is this just a memory? I mean, again, there's so much going on in just these three little verses. It really kind of is amazing. And I, you know, we don't spend a lot of time on the show trying to pair up what he writes with his personal life because I think that's a. I just don't think there's any point to that. Um, I would agree. And it, at the same time, you know, we do know about his relationships. And you got to wonder when he wrote this in 1962, who was he? What was the inspiration? I guess let's say I don't want to say who, who he was thinking about because that doesn't matter. But I wonder what the inspiration was because I think by 62, he was with Susie Rotolo at that point and presumably – uh, in, in a you know on go- relatively ongoing relationship with her, so I'm wondering: is he recalling something from his own past? Is he just making it up? I mean, that's always possible. Is he just playing a character, and he's he's so good at it that it doesn't matter that he, you know that it, that he's making it up? But it really does. It really is quite compelling this idea. And if you've ever read any books about when Dylan likes to record. He often is recording in the middle of the night. I mean, he yeah. he makes does these album sessions, and you'll see it's like recorded at three o two a.m. and you're like, wow, okay. So he's really he's like Batman. He's like a creature of the night. He's I don't get him. I don't get the sense he's up during the day a lot, doing a lot of stuff. So it has that you know nighttime feel to it of where, where I've always heard that I don't know if you've ever heard that that sort of um, aphorism where they say don't ever make decisions past midnight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't ever make any important decisions because it's your your mind is just in a different place at two in the morning than it is at seven in the morning. What what might feels what might feel hopeless at two in the morning or reasonable at two in the morning at seven, you wake up and you go, well, that's crap. What was I not? I'm not going to do that. And so I think this this song gets to that. I mean, this is somebody who is so dissolute. He can't even see his reflection anymore. He doesn't even feel any pain. I mean, that's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think that when it comes to him recording at night, I think that always helps um, creative people like him uh, kind of feel a little freer for you, a little looser. I know that um, Bob's been notorious for that. Elvis was always like that, too. Right. Um, and I believe Frank was like that. Frank Sinatra was like that. Two two other singers that I know he really idolizes because uh, I know he obviously idolizes Frank with what he's been doing lately. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I love about this song is that, you know, even when I listen to, to this show or I listen to Dylan fans, they'll talk about what an uneven performer Bob is live. And there's certainly some truth to that. But this song shows, uh, I think, a lot of what his what is best about seeing him live it was true the other day when I saw her a couple weeks ago when I saw him. 
he can be so intense and so serious and uh, just sounds so perfect. It might not sound like it does on the record or sound the way you think it's going to sound or whatever, but it sounds exactly as it should that that night. And I know for him, he thinks of himself primarily primarily as a, a performer, not necessarily an album artist. Yes. And uh, I really enjoy that about him. It's probably it, it, it probably leads to some even uneven performances, but it also makes him, I think, just a tremendous live performer. Oh, I mean, when you do 100 concerts a year, I mean, there's just simply going to be a lot of unevenness. There's no way about it. There's no. And Bob has inspired me in so many different ways throughout my life. That's why I do the show, obviously. But it also inspires me on a on a creative level in that, you know, I try and do that with the podcast. I mean, I, I do a lot of different shows about a lot of different subjects, and sometimes they don't come out that well. But you do the best <laughs> you can. You know, I mean, yeah. you just to me, it's like, well, you know, I. I I, I do what I, I do the best in the moment that I have, and if if it doesn't come out that well, then we'll move on to the next thing, and you keep going because I just think there's something to be learned from that. I think if you wait until everything is just perfect, it it freezes you. I think it it renders you kind of immobile because you're waiting for everything to be absolutely perfect. I know someone who is. Um, they're an artist, let's just say that, and I won't get specific, but they've been working on a project for like 30 years and they keep waiting until they're like good enough to do it. And it's almost yeah. like, well, you're never going to do it then because, you know, you're always going to learn. That's, that's that's not the way, you know, being a human works, I think. So there's something to that. And I mean, it's a shame. Maybe I shouldn't use the word shame, but it's it's interesting that this version, the version that we're all familiar with from the greatest hits and from the town hall is just Bob solo. And I'd love to hear other versions like that, but I mean, he isn't really interested in doing that anymore. I mean, he has been with a band now for 30, 40 years. He doesn't do acoustic solo performances much of anything other than those two record, the good, good as they've been to you and world gone wrong. But for the most part, he thinks of himself as like a band leader. And so you'll, yeah. you'll probably net, never get to hear a version of the song in his current voice as a solo thing. Cause he just doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, even when uh, even when I think what he do unplugged in '95, and then he did right. those famous uh, supper club shows in the mid '90s sometimes, and all those are acoustic, but they're all with the band. Right. And they're all, I think they're pretty good, um, but oh, they're yeah, all with the yeah, band. Yeah. And then uh, now, I think the, when I saw him this past time, he did um, "Don't Think Twice, It's All Right" on the piano, mm-hmm. and pretty much by himself for that. I think that that would be as about as good as you can get. He really rarely stepped away from the piano the whole night. And from what I read, that's what he's been doing. Uh, but I think that's be about as close as you can get. And I don't know if you'd ever do tomorrow's a long time, but it's hard to tell with him. Uh, you, you know, I, there is virtually no song. I've said this on other shows. There's virtually no song of his that I would say he's never going to do that again because you never know. I mean, I if I had to put my money on like two, I would say maybe Joey or uh, Ballad in Plain D. But maybe that's just because those are two songs I don't want to hear him do again. <laughs> but you never know with him. You literally never know. Uh, I mean – Again, if someone can yell out at a concert, tomorrow is a long time, and he could just do it, then anything is possible. Uh, yeah. So, and, and again, it's clearly a song that he likes and, and, and thinks is good because he's any, – any time that you're compiling a greatest hits record in 1972 and you think to pull that out, obviously he has affection for it as well he should. Good, and I think I – would, I would wonder what his view of it was if Elvis hadn't covered it. I do wonder if – not just Elvis. There's a, there's a couple very nice covers of it. Oh, Judy yes. Collins, who I'm sure Dylan was a fan of, has a has a cover of it. Odetta, who actually I believe Elvis really liked the album Odetta Sings Dylan. And that might have been where he um, listened to the song mostly. She sings this song on Odetta Sings Dylan. 
Um, and I know uh, uh, Bob grew up being a pretty big fan of Odetta once he got yes. to New York and listened to the folk scene. Um, I wonder if that's why, because I can't think of another song where Elvis covers, and you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, there's certainly other songs famous people cover. I think that's why he has such an affinity for all, along the watchtower, because I know he loves the Hendrix version. Yeah. And I just, I wonder if that's why, because Elvis, and like I said, two other people that I'm sure he was a fan of, um, covered the song and did nice covers too, the way, but all of them are very good. Yeah, I think it's a very malleable song. I mean, like a lot of Dylan songs, they're very malleable. But I think this one is, I think the the lyrics are so simple and so direct. And the melody is so, I, I hate I hate saying that the melody is simple because I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's, you know, it sounds simple. I mean, maybe to play it, it's impossible. I don't know. Some of the musicians who listen to the show would have to school me on that. But it's it's, you listen to the performance and it doesn't sound terribly complex. And maybe that is something about it, that it's just so straightforward. And of course... It, anyone can relate to it. I mean, everybody's had relationships in their lives uh, in one form or another. And you can relate to that feeling of you miss someone so badly that it's it's wiping you out. Like it's just yeah. carving you out from the inside and you don't even have any feelings about anything because you're so consumed by the, 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 the loss of this person not being around. Yeah, you feel so small. I think that's what makes it so relatable. And uh, I just – I've seen it um, played in uh, – Walking Dead, they had a they had a scene. Uh, really? Yeah, played to this song, and it just struck me what a pretty song it was, um, and how relatable it was during that scene. <laughs> I can't. I trying to think somebody sitting there saying, "You know what would be the good uh, company for this zombie <laughs> scene?" Oh yeah, tomorrow is a long time. Okay. Funny, I don't even I don't even watch The Walking Dead, but someone had mentioned you know, they played this Dylan song on it, and I wanted to see which one they played. And then of course it was the it was that one, and like I said wouldn't say this is the song that got me into Bob. It really started. So the song will always kind of have a special place in my heart. And Elvis and Bob are probably my two favorite uh, musicians. And they both sing it. And they both give it their all. I think that's pretty neat. So, Absolutely. I On, on a separate note, like you, you mentioned The Walking Dead. Like, I'm going to imagine what, how many people are on permanent staff that just deal with Dylan's song clearance requests? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, is that like yeah. six people? Cause I mean, the, the offer, I mean, now that it's uh, now it's all done in email and stuff, it's gotta be a lot easier. But in the old days, there must've just been letters pouring in from different places. <laughs> Can you come use this? Had to be. And I, you know, cause you've seen him in all sorts of things. I remember the first time I heard shelter from the storm was, uh, with Jerry Maguire, right? Jerry yeah, Maguire, Jerry Maguire. right. And uh, such an iconic song for it to be the first time I ever heard that's pretty funny. And then, of course, I think the first time I ever heard um, a lot of the 60 Protest songs were in movies and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's got to be it's like a, it's an industry all by itself of just you know writing clearance letters <laughs> and saying, OK, we got yeah. a thing from The Walking Dead. We have an ice cream uh, cone commercial. We have a car commercial. Uh, we have a movie. Just that. It's, it's got to be a. I mean, like, is there like a letterhead, like a Bob Dylan letter? Like, all of this stuff's fascinating. Hey, if yeah. anyone's listening to this, if you work in the Dylan Clearing Office, please contact me. I would love to talk to you and be on the show. That would, I think, to be very, very fascinating. So, yeah, this is this is just a terrific song. Um, it's just it's one of like the sort of hidden gems. It's great that Dylan thought to put it on Greatest Hits Volume Two, or whoever decided to put it on Greatest Hits Volume Two, because you know the the word hits was a misnomer. It was just really a collection of really great songs of yeah. of Dylan's. Greatest Hits Volume One is truly hits. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Those were actual hit singles. Volume Two was really just, hey, there's a bunch of really great stuff we put together. So it absolutely belongs on any great collection of Dylan songs because it's just a, it's a really really beautiful tune. So. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you for for coming on the show to talk about. This is just terrific. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, your podcast has uh, introduced me to a couple uh, great songs that I didn't know about. Um, so I, I really was excited to come on here. I mean, the first time I heard Red River Shore was because of your Time Out of Mind podcast. Oh, that, wow. Cool. That's probably a top five Dylan song for me right now. So that, that was oh, pretty Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. Oh, that means the world to me. That's wonderful. That's great to hear. Well, again, thank you. I said, I, I've been talking to a lot of new people lately, and it's just been terrific because I love hearing people's different stories about how they got into it. I, I'm fascinated with the idea that, like, in the beginning, you weren't that big of a fan, and he kind of wore you down. I sort of I like that. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, I kept going back to him, and my wife was a big fan, and I just kept trying. Because, you know, it was somebody that I felt like I should be into. And then one day it just clicked. And I think that's what happens with people in Dylan. It just clicks, and you get it, and you don't understand anybody who doesn't get it. <laughs> oh, that's well, that's, that's absolutely true. So I'm, I'm, that's fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, Ian, you have to talk to your wife about being on the show, by the way. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's going to do it uh, for this episode of Pod Dylan. I do want to mention we do have a little piece of news. Uh, that broke between our this episode when I recorded the last one is uh, there is going to be a new Bob Dylan documentary directed by Martin Scorsese. Of course, you mentioned that earlier in the show, Michael, the No Direction Home. And it's <laughs> going to be focusing on the Rolling Thunder review. And it's going to appear on Netflix, which is fantastic. I already have Netflix. Uh, so it, I'm, it'll just pop up in, on my uh, on my account one day, which is fantastic. I mean, look. Scorsese and Dylan clearly have a a love-love relationship. Uh, They've worked together through two different times. They did The Last Waltz together, obviously, and then No Direction Home. Uh, Dylan appeared at a Scorsese tribute where he sang Blind Willie McTell. So they they, the mutual admiration society. So I cannot wait to see a documentary on uh, Bob on the Rolling Thunder years by Martin Scorsese. That is going to be – and apparently it's going to feature new interviews with Bob too, which is – I love it. Just any footage of Bob just talking – I, I am I, I'm like I'm totally there. Well, it's so rare, yeah, and and, and I agree 100. percent I'm pretty excited to see him interviewed um, and hear a little bit of the story because obviously that's a big part of his career. Yep. Um, and I think some of those shows, I mean, they're talk about great live performances. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's where you go to for a lot of them. So, yeah, that's it's going to be really really cool. And I have to say, it's sort of funny. Like every so often, I I just do a little mental exercise where I think I belong to like 17 different streaming services. It's ridiculous. I pay more money for streaming services than I do for cable. Uh, but every so often I kind of think about how much I watch Netflix and I don't watch as much as I used to because they don't have really any movies anymore. It's all just like original mm-hmm. content. And every yep. so often I, I tell myself, you know what? Yeah, I think maybe we could get rid of Netflix. I don't think that would be that big of a loss. And right when I seem to have that mental thought, they drop something huge. You know, like a couple of months ago, they're like, oh, hey, we're going to get the new Orson Welles movie. I'm like, oh, now I got to keep him because I got to. <laughs> and so I had that thought again. I'm like, oh, maybe. And now it's a Dylan face. <laughs> so like, you know, that is they- so ironic. I was just thinking to myself, um, I don't really watch it. My wife does. so I wasn't going to get rid of it, but I didn't watch Netflix all that much anymore. And and it used to have, you know, like I said, a lot more movies had documentaries and stuff that I yeah. always watched. Like what I just brought up when I saw the No Direction Home that was on Netflix. Right, right. Um, and then when that story came out, I was like, oh, <laughs> that works. All right. All right. That's exactly you... what I need. Yeah. And by and by not giving me the release date, they just said it's 2019. Well, now, you know, I'm just going to keep paying for it every month until they release <laughs> yeah. the damn thing. So <laughs> well, well played, Netflix. Well played. Your your algorithms are working so well that you can pick up my brain patterns and are, and are stringing <laughs> me along. So well, well done. Of course, we will review that uh, when it comes out because that's going to be very, very exciting. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find back episodes of the show on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And we're always talking about 
Bob Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, uh, take it easy. Bye. If today was not a crooked highway If tonight was not a crooked trail If tomorrow wasn't such a long time Then lonesome would mean nothing to you at all Yes, and only if my own true love was waiting if I could hear her heart is softly pounding Yes, and only if she was lying by me I'd lie in my bed once again I can't see my reflection in the water I can't speak sounds to show no pain I can't hear the echo of my footsteps or remember the sounds of my own name Yes and only if my own true love was waiting And if I could only hear her heart softly pounding Yes and only if she was lying by me I'd lie in my bed once again If today was not in this highway If tonight was not in this train If tomorrow wasn't such a long time Then lonesome would mean nothing to me at all Yes, and only if my own true love was waiting If I could hear Softly upon